0: Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbin. Romans chapter 1, I think the opening verse, okay, I'm just, t- Bible story time. If I get it wrong, you can blame it on the Holy Spirit and Rhea Marshall, okay? That's it. That's the end of the story right there. I've often made the joke... Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit will bring a scripture to mind and then he can't remember where it is, you know? Um, that'll sink in a little bit more later. Pastor Don, can you identify with that one? <laughs> oh, Romans chapter one, I think verse one says, Paul, a slave. First um, Corinthians nine, in the middle of a passage where he says, I'm going to be all things to all men. And somewhere in that passage, I think it's 21, 22, somewhere around there. He says, but if it's necessary, I'm, I'm, I am free, but I'm a slave to everyone. What on earth is he talking about? I'm no longer, he doesn't know our song apparently. I'm no longer a slave to fear. By the way, do you see what I'm holding in my, you can't, you can't tell what this is. Um, but I'm holding it in my hand so I don't forget. This is your prayer reminder for the week. It's a zip tie. Okay. Now for the fellow ADD people in the room, you will not hear a word that I say. You'll be staring at this the whole time saying, when's he going to get to the zip tie? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I got we'll that. Tr- we'll try to track. Today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. I'll never forget that uh, I never talk about Palm Sunday that this story back here in the back of my mind from 30 years ago doesn't come to mind. There was a, a brand new rock band in Fort Myers, Florida at the church we planted and pastored Covenant Community Ministry. The lead singer came. The other members of the band uh, went to attended other churches, but it was a Christian rock band. And, and the guy had long blonde hair, and he was the epitome of the surfer dude of the 80s and 90s. I mean, just the opinion. but genuinely so. It wasn't an act. I mean, he was just so laid back, bro. I mean, yeah. Oh, how you doing? Awesome, dude. You know. I mean, he was that guy, and it was it really wasn't fake because it was it was sort of being put off. But they were a band called <clears throat> Olive Carpet, and so uh, yeah, Pastor Buck remembers that story. I've, I've told them, and so I said, hey, man. Um, and, and by the way, I hope and pray they're not listening, because what we did at the church was we established a little studio and, and actually had a guy on staff at, at that point that we wanted to launch worship, and so we wanted to do recordings for Christian singers and Christian groups I had a day when it was a little more difficult. It's not that difficult. Now you can do it if you have a laptop, computer, or a phone, actually, you know but it was more difficult then. So we were, we were doing that. It was a great, really a great ministry. And so this group came in and, and, you know, we couldn't do like whole albums or whatnot, but we had two or three songs or one song, whatever. This group comes in and the guy who was running it, uh, his name was Bobby Inkenbrandt, a brilliant, absolutely brilliant musician and, and technician. Oh, by the way, for you guys on the stage, Jamie, he reminded me a lot of Trevor. He was that cal- you know, just everything good. But uh, I, I asked him a few days in, how's it going? He goes, oh, well, and um, he says, it's not entirely awful. awful. And I said, okay, well, good. So uh, it was sort of that thing. So I, they were back there and they were all into their, you know, driving metal worship Christian stuff, you know, and uh, it was always, when listening to them, it was a little more work for me to sort of get into the throne room via that medium <laughs> than another. Maybe some of you can identify, maybe not, I mean... Maybe we have old headbangers here that, you know, can, rock on, dude. Um, so I said, hey, man, where did where, you get the name Olive Carpet? I said, that uh, sounds pretty cool. He goes, well, Pastor Tom, you know, bro, it's uh, that day, you know, when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, yeah, and they put, you know, they threw down olive branches, man. Wasn't that amazing? I said... I said, yeah, I said, but, um, they were palm branches and you should have just seen that moment. Hans, you should have seen the look on his face. You know, that moment, the deer in the headlights, like, and I said, they were palm branches, not, not olive branches. He goes, seriously. (laughs) So anyways, that's my story for Palm Sunday that has nothing to do with the message, but it always comes to mind. So, uh, you know, (laughs) welcome to the olive carpet this morning. On this Sunday, uh, on this day, a, a, w- a week before, Jesus would be crucified. He enters Jerusalem and they send him ahead. And the story is just full of fascination because it's the, uh, the, the foal uh, or the, 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 the baby donkey of a mom that's pulled away and, and, you know, that was just an impossibility. So digging into the story is, is fascinating, um, just the pieces of it and the poetry of it are so powerful. And not only did he sends them ahead to the city and says, hey, when you walk up there, you're going to find a guy's BMW in his driveway. Just tell him the Lord has need of it, and he's going to let you have it. You know, so he sends his disciples out with sort of like a Jedi command, you know. If you're not a Star Wars person, you won't get that, who shows up and says, you know, you will let us have your donkey. And the guy says, you can have my donkey, you know. So they, they, they leave with the donkey, take it to Jesus, and he comes riding in on a donkey. And they did something in the processional that actually... Uh, was in the Near Eastern ancient world, it would be welcoming a king in triumph. Okay, and when the king would come in in triumph, typically they would—the king or the general or both—would be on exclusively on hugely powerful horses, you know, just the most magnificent creature that could be, and just the whole force and um, strength and musculature of the creature would, would more greatly uh, reinforce the domination as this king would ride before prisoners who may be beaten or abused by the crowd or whatever, but it was a statement of absolute domination, we've won, it's us, you know, where it people would gather in the street, they would throw these branches out and pave the way. Well, that's what was happening in Zechariah chapter 9. Amanda, I think I sent you. If I got the wrong verses, it's up to you to find them because I just sent them from my phone back there. We'll find out if she is Holy Spirit anointed. Yes, she is. Hallelujah. Look at that. Zechariah chapter 9. It says, Rejoice, O greatly, O daughter of Zion. That daughter of Zion is another reference to the people of God. Excuse me, the people of Israel specifically, but it becomes a term for us, the people of God. In other words, if we want to read that Old Testament verse, we, we are now that people. Uh, the, the book of Romans is very clear. Galatians is clear on that, okay? So we're that. So rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't it that of over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ specifically, this is one, or 330 or so, okay? Prophecies. Here's a specific one that would happen hundreds of years before it did happen, and then it happens just as the prophet would say. So Jesus says, go get the cold, I'm going to ride in. So he knew what was going on. So when they came in, they're throwing down the palm branches, and that was done in honor of a king, which didn't help his cause and contributed to the reason the Jews would present to the Romans. Now, see, if you haven't read Scripture, you don't know. In the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire dominated that whole region, and uh, and, and uh, Israel was sort of a vassal or subjugated nation under Roman domination. And the crucifixion of Jesus would ultimately have to be given approval by the local Uh, Roman representative or tetrarch or whatever. And so, and that's what happened. His name is Pilate and sort of, he sort of grants the way forward. But what they used as evidence, when they finally got him, they said, this guy has pronounced himself King. And Pilate says to him, are you a King? He says, it is as you say. And so it became one of the reasons that he would be crucified and a significant one used by his detractors. But on this day he comes riding into to Jerusalem in that fashion. But you see, as you go on to read, let, let's go on a couple of verses later. I think it's verse eleven of Zechariah chapter nine. Let's see what else the prophet has to say here. He says, "As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you." Now see, that's that's an Old Testament promise. Watch that in the Old Testament, when the covenant between God and Israel was first um, inaugurated, begun, started, it was these covenants were sealed with the blood of a lamb. See the Bible's a cool book you really need to read, and it really does make sense front to back. Well, as you come to the New Testament, in John chapter one, John the Baptist would see Jesus coming and he would say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away our sin. This would be the Lamb who would shed his blood to seal the covenant we now walk in. It's not the blood. The book of Hebrews says, you don't do it with lambs, goats, bulls, dove, but with the very precious, spotless blood of Jesus Christ. That he paid the price dying for us to open that up. Okay, so let's go back to that verse, please, Amanda um, that he, when he says, uh, for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you. Now I want us to understand this guys. This is an old Testament passage. And this guy is referring to the old Testament covenant, but he is prophesying about a future event. And the blood of the covenant is now ours. Everybody get that. So when we read this verse, it does not only point back to the old Testament, but it points forward to the covenant that we're in today. So, if if I would adapt this, I would say, because of the blood of the covenant with Jesus Christ, he says, I'm with you. I'm going to follow you all the days of your life. And we talked about that in the last few, few weeks, that love meets me where I am. Holy takes me where I need to go. It's the love of God. Expressed through the cross of Christ and the blood of Christ that is the guarantee. He said, I've sealed it with my blood, and I'm not ever backing out on my word. Okay, he says, I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Okay? I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. The actual translation there is cistern. Everybody say cistern. (laughs) Through the years here, uh, Brenda and I in teaching have, where this word cistern comes up, such as Jeremiah chapter 2, when it says Uh, You people, my people have forsaken, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewn for themselves cisterns or dug that can't hold any water. They're broken and cracked and it all leaks away. So once again, you have this empty cistern uh, of possibility and that, Jeremiah 2, is a, a fun passage to study. But even before that, we see the first glimpse of a cistern early or about halfway through the book of Genesis, when the Joseph of the Old Testament, Joseph of the Old Testament, who would be born at that time as the youngest son, he would have this dream. His dad spoiled him and treated him with great favor, gave him in this wonderful Louis Vuitton coat. I don't know if Louis Vuitton even makes coats. I know they make purses. So that was the only name that came to mind. So whoever, whatever great designer, they gave him a... What? What's another designer in the name? Anyways, you know, a Ralph Lauren, or better than that, coat. It was flashy. It had bling. And his brothers hated him because his dad spoiled him. And then he has this dream, and he says, man, I've had this dream. The sun and the moon bowed down, and all of you guys bowed down. So they got over this guy real quick, said, hey, come help us take care of the sheep out here in the wilderness. Okay, I'll come along. And they throw him in a pit. The word is the same Hebrew word here, a cistern an empty cistern. Boy, there's some beautiful poetry that happens here, but it becomes a place of captivity. So when Zechariah makes reference to this, he said, I've freed you from the waterless pit. Well, the problem with anybody that was thrown in a waterless pit, it was typically the leftover from some temporary nomadic tribe that had come through. They had lived there for a time and they left behind these waterless pits, these little empty cisterns that were broken. No one used them and they were usually in the middle of nowhere. Let me ask you this question this morning. Anybody ever felt like life, the devil, situations? has shoved you into a deep hole and it's in the middle of nowhere and the louder you scream, all that's happened is your voice is wearing out because nobody's near enough to hear. You're just thrown into that place and very much like Joseph, it's a place where dreams are held hostage and dreamers can very well die. Dreams, excuse me, let me flip that around. Dreamers are held hostage and dreams die. And if you read the ongoing story of Joseph, you see how that dream unfolds. Some Sunday I'm going to have Pastor Buck give you a a summary synthesis of his doctoral thesis on Joseph and on, on how that relates to family life today. But he's held captive there, okay? And Zechariah picks up on that very common notion. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure one of the prophets were thrown into an old cistern as well. But watch this. When he says, let's go back to that verse, please, Amanda. He said, I've set you free from the waterless pit. That was otherwise a place of imprisonment. Okay, let's keep going. Next verse. Uh, He says, Rejoice, rejoice, excuse me, return to the stronghold, O prisoners who have the hope. Now the actual translation here, return to the stronghold, who prisoners of hope is the actual translation. If you look in your Bibles, on your pads or Bibles or whatever, you're going to see almost every translation will give you an alternate. There's a little number by that. It's called interlinear. Or if you're reading King James or New King James, I'm pretty sure that version says prisoners of hope, prisoners of hope. You can't read right by this and miss it. It's very subtle. He said, this very day, I am declaring that I will restore double to you. You see, this king comes riding in. This was the typical processional that would happen that you see happening with Jesus. And this verse is not far from it. Matter of fact, if you go to Second Kings toward the close of it, you go, you'll see the phrase and the captivity was, they led them captive. They led them captive. They led them captive. They led captive. Anybody here, don't raise your hand. Anybody here ever felt like you're in a moment and maybe in minority today? When you're absolutely being led places you don't want to go, think of in prison. Think of being a prisoner, everything about it. You have no choice in the outcome. You're led places you don't want to go. You're given stuff to eat that you don't like. And you're put in a place, a living environment that is absolutely not what you expected out of life and the world. This phrase is so absolutely compelling that he said, return to the stronghold, O prisoners of hope. And there's an implication there that is very, very powerful uh, that I want us to get. Now, I want us to get the idea of this parade led by a conquering king. And and I'm just going to have to tell you the Bible story. I can't go to the reference in places like Peter and Luke, the parables, and build the case for this. But um, Amanda, Colossians uh, 2, verse 15, please. And then after that, we're going to go to Ephesians 4 verse seven, I think as well. We'll see. Colossians two, when he had uh, disarmed, this is mid text, go home and read the whole chapter. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them. That language everyone would have understood. He put them on display like a conquering king. But Jesus said he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Through him is Jesus and God working in tandem. He said, after the resurrection, now watch what happens. And, and matter of fact, this week is so full. And Brenda, don't let me forget that we have some celebration to do at the close about this coming week. Okay, now back to the regular Stigzer program. Watch here, okay? That when uh, this, this, these people would be led in and triumph captivity, Jesus is picking up that language. Look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter four. And I think the psalm that's being referenced here is, for those of you who take notes, is Psalm 68 and 15, 16, 18, somewhere around there. Psalm 68. So they're pointing back to a reference in the Old Testament, this language. But I want to, I started at verse 7 on purpose because it's in, in the previous imprisonment narrative, peace and hope are referenced, grace is referenced here. But to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Watch verse 8. Therefore, it says, he's quoting this, he's quoting the Psalms. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He ascended on high, uh, and go, go on ahead, Amanda, thank you. Now, this expression, he ascended. By the way, that's not my parentheses. That's in the translation of Scripture. Now, this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, I don't, this is going to be a little fascination splinter that gets you. Go home and, and Google it. There's a a, a, a philosophy or doctrine or theology that said Jesus descended, and there was this place referred to as paradise where the righteous dead had been held captive. That Jesus went there, according to Peter, if if that's the doctrinal thread, and he made a pronouncement, and it doesn't say what it was, made a pronouncement, and then he led them out. That combined with John chapter 20, pretty sure. Again, I'm telling you a Bible story that I wasn't quite prepared for. John chapter 20, which we'll look at next Sunday for Easter, Mary Magdalene in the garden, morning of resurrection. At this point in the particular story I'm picking up, Jesus called Mary's name. Mary recognizes Jesus as being risen from uh, the dead. It's incomprehensible. She falls at his feet and she grabs his feet. And he's, he says in the Greek language is, let, let quit, it says quit touching me, but it's actually let go of me. He says, let go of me. Go tell my brothers that I'm going to their father and my father. Now, In the other gospel narratives, push the pause button on that, on resurrection morning, it records the fact that the dead were seen walking around. What's up with that? Again, endless debate on that. Here's Tom's synthesis of that. Resurrection morning, stone pops back out of the way. I love that. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's in the garden. He tells Mary, he says, tell them I've got a trip to make. I'll be right back. All around, there are these people that were previously dead, and they're seen for a moment. Scripture doesn't say they remain. It said they were just seen. It's my belief that they may have just been passing through. You see, because between Friday and Sunday morning, Jesus said, I'm going to make a trip someplace. Psalm 68 and Ephesians says that he led captivity captive. Beloved, please hear me. Jesus didn't come to set us free from the prison. He came to take it over. Now, see, you say, well, I don't want to be a prisoner. Yeah, you do. You see, because the words introduced in these little passages are hope, peace, and grace. How many would love for somebody to show up and say, look... I'm taking you prisoner. Or well, where are you taking me prisoner? I've been taken prisoner on some birthdays and anniversary by my wife to a restaurant or some plan or some surprise that she has figured out. And I'm, where are we going? I'm, I'm not going to tell you. Well, I want to know. I'm not one of those kind of guys. Can you tell me where you're going? No. Well, see, mixed with me is this unresolvable angst. It's filled with, I really need to know where we're going, but I'm really excited that I don't know. Anybody live in that place? See, Jesus shows up and says, I'm taking over the prison and I'm going to transform it from a prison of grace to a prison of grief to one of grace. I'm I'm taking it over and I'm going to transform it from a prison of punishment to a place of promise. I've come to take over. And as a matter of fact, what do you say? New Hope starts a new TV series. Let's make it up. Um, Prison life, colon, there's no place like hope. I like that. Now see, in in all of this this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Easter is still the biggest Sunday that people attend church in the southeastern United States. Uh, I, I take that Christmas is the season, but Easter is the day. There are going to be people here that don't normally come to church. I'm believing on Friday night, our first ever Good Friday service, where we come to worship the Lord and break chains and celebrate what happened on the cross, and then Sunday morning celebrate what happened in the resurrection. This week, we're, gonna, we're just going to pray and believe, Father, we want to br- see a breakthrough week in ways that we can't even manage. We were asking you to become <laughs> I love it. You know when they came in and the children said, Hosanna, and they were filled with wonder? I I, I just saw two W words here. How many are ready for the warden of wonder to take over your prison? Come on. See, that's what's going on is when Paul said, I'm still a slave. I'm just a slave to him. And boy, are you going to like the prison? He's decorated it with things you can't possibly imagine. And so early this morning, I created... A potential exit, and I had no idea. And I said, Father, I'm praying on the way here, Lord. I had a sermon prepared that this is the second time I've tried to preach that amazing sermon. And I said, Holy Spirit, just, just direct. And so I come walking. Into that song, I heard the first one. I heard Brenda's exhortation back there. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And in between those lines, when she paused, God says, are you hearing me, boy? I said, yes, sir. Got it. I called Jose. Jose, run over to tool time real fast. I need zip ties. Pastor, are we going to fix something? Something broke? Yeah, but not what you think. And these are used today as handcuffs. Hey, Sean, I want you to do me a favor. (laughs) Was that Josh? Yeah, there we go. (laughs) For those of you watching online, you don't know, those are my precious, wonderful, amazing brothers who are on the front line of enrolling themselves in a prison that God has taken over. Oh, yeah. uh, hallelujah. <laughs> so I said, zip ties are used for handcuffs. And Josh says, I'm like, I know that. I know. Yeah. Yep. I can tell you that. Still got the marks right here. You know? Yeah. Okay. Josh. <clears throat> almost. I want you to, t- I got another one for you. No, you don't need two, but that, that, he goes, oh. <laughs> I, and, and, and I got a zip tie for everybody. You can do this. You can just barely put it there or clip it around your mirror where every day you get in your, on your car, every day you get in your car, you can clip it around the doorknob where every time you reach leaving your house this week, you've got to reach and grab it and see that thing and think about it. Or if you want to be brave, you can put it on your wrist. Just don't pull it too tight and then blame it on New Hope. Okay. But I want all week long for us to create reminders. I'm going to wear mine on my wrist and can't wait for people to ask what that's about. Matter of fact, I'll probably put two or three and somebody somewhere, a server, all week are going to ask me, what's his zip ties about? I'm glad you asked. Our church has done this stupid thing. You see, I'm a prisoner of him. But I'm not a prisoner of punishment. I'm a prisoner of peace and promise. I'm not a prisoner of grief and brokenness, but I'm a prisoner of grace. I'm not a prisoner of devastation, I'm a prisoner of hope, God's word says so. You see, because he said, I'm gonna begin on Palm Sunday, he said, well, the procession's gonna start here on earth, headed to the temple, but it's gonna end the day after the resurrection, or the day of the resurrection on the morning, I'm gonna take captivity captive. I'm not just taking the captives from the captivity, I'm taking over the place. I'm gonna create a brand new spin. Leave it up to God who can redeem being a prisoner. How does that become a good scenario? And yet Paul says, I rejoice that I am a slave of the most high God. You should see the benefits of living in this house. Anybody get what I'm talking about? I want us to do that this week. I want us to come to Good Friday. I want you to make plans to be here for powerful prayer, worship, and deliverance. I want you to just be ready for Sunday morning. I want you to put these little things uh, on your wrist or wherever and say, I just want to tell somebody this week I'm a prisoner of hope. Will you join me in my prison? You see, even when Jesus came to the planet in John chapter 3, he used his language, the Stockholm syndrome type stuff. Isn't it amazing how people of brokenness can become so acclimated to their prison. By the way, it's an old phrase that came, I think, when was the Stockholm event in the 70s? When there was a, an event where they took a bunch of people hostage in captivity in Stockholm. They were there for a long time. And over that time, the prisoners actually gained an affinity for their captors because they lived with them. It was this weird broken thing where they actually, in some senses, developed relationships and, and, and a sympathy for their captors. Jesus shows up in John chapter three and he says, the problem is humanity has lived in darkness so long. When I open the door, when I switch on the light, they run like cockroaches in the middle of the night and scurry for dark. He said, they just have a love affair with darkness. I told Brenda this week, I said, the weight of the gospel, which I told you a couple of weeks ago, just crushing me in my lifetime. I've never seen a moment when hands of hope that are extended to help humanity are translated into hands that would harm and demean. Where the where the hands of hope that are extended, where you're where it's, see, you're judgmental, you're 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 just haters, you're bashers, you're this, you're that, and I thought, oh my goodness, beloved, I want to tell you that we have met the warden of your soul. And he didn't come just to let you out of the prison. He said, return to the stronghold. How dumb is that? God says, I've got a brand new plan. I'm going to take you hostage. I'm going to take you captive. Well, what's going to happen? I'm leading you to If I believe scripture, watch the poetry here, where he took captivity captive. He said, I'm going to lead you to solitary confinement. It's called the throne room of God, Hebrews chapter 4. Where I'm going to lead you right in, where you can boldly walk into the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Watch this, beloved. You get to Revelation chapter 4, and the whole prison motif this morning is just exploding in my brain because we're born into this world thinking we're just another number. You go to prison, and you're a number. That's all you are—is a number. They may know, may refer to you through some nickname. But you're primarily a number. Do you understand that the warden of my soul, according to Hebrews chapter eight, nine, and Revelation chapter five, he said, "You're no longer a number." He said, "I know your name," and as a matter of fact, it's dear enough to me. I have my own book called the Lamb's Book, and I wrote your name down in it. You're not just another face in the crowd. You're a person of promise. You're a soul for whom I died. You're a person that is to be a recipient of the full possibility of all that my death might otherwise bring to your life. I'm gonna introduce you to a prison that you've never experienced. (laughs) How many know that's the dumbest thing to flip on its head? Turn to the person next next to you and say, you ready for your zip tie? Come on. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.